Hello, I'm Billy Kennedy, and you are very welcome to the Spotless Podcast. This week, I'm joined by Richie Kennedy to talk about ethnographic research and how it applies to our work in service design and user experience. As always, we are on iTunes and many other podcast listening services, so please do uh, subscribe and like. We really do appreciate it. And with that, on with the show. All right, Richie, how's it going? Oh yeah, Billy. Yeah, good. Not bad. Yeah, not too bad. How's, how's the day been so far? Yeah, it's been um, it's been pretty good, I suppose. Normal old day. Uh, I've, I've got to say, I'm um, pretty impressed with this little setup we've got now. Yeah, likewise. It's, <laughs> it's it's probably not good radio, but yeah, we're we're in this new um, podcasting um, space. I guess well, the same space, but we have new microphones, new new stands, and stuff. Um, so we're hoping that that will 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 see an improvement over the of the audio quality that we previously had. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Fuzzy, fuzzy mic covers and everything. We do, yeah. 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 Uh, Image-wise, it, it's all spot on. I'm not too <laughs> sure how it'll sound in yeah. the end. Um, okay, so so your topic today, Richie, is uh, ethnographic research, um, which I know you've had some experience with here at Spotless, and I've I've had some experience with it as well. So we should be able to share uh, some stories around that. I guess before we get into that, it'd be good just to get some background on yourself and and kind of how you ended up at Spotless. Yeah, cool. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, so. I've been here now over a year. I guess I started uh, freelancing here before I became a full-time member. So, um, yeah, it's it's a it's a good way to get into it. I I came originally from a psychology background. Mm-hmm. So my undergraduate was in Dublin, in Ireland, and it was uh, psychology applied to IT. Right. Which is a, a funny old mix. Yeah. Sometimes. Um, <laughs> but uh, I I I always it was always an angle I wanted to approach um, IT from. Which, yeah, it's not the common way. Um, but why and how people use technology the way they do was always an interest to me. And, okay. And I guess behavior related to how they use certain technologies. So it was a great way into um, into UX and services. Yeah, think. yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so I had kind of psychology subjects. And I had um, design subjects like mm-hmm. Photoshop and things like that. So I've got some experience there. Although I'm starting to forget that side <laughs> of things. Yeah. Um, and then I came over and did a master's here, which uh, Ben and Tom were on as well. Yes, that's the one in UCL, is that right? That's right, yeah. yeah. So human-computer interactions with ergonomics oh, was the title. Yeah. A bit yeah, of a yeah. mouthful. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so we've got a bit of a UCL club starting here in Swatless, really. Um, so I met Ben through that, and um, that was kind of my first opportunity. Uh, he gave me opportunities to work on projects in this company. and. Right. Uh, I guess they, they, uh, it was good enough for them to keep asking me back. Absolutely. I remember when you were you started off kind of freelancing here, mm. and it was just kind of project after project after project. <laughs> yeah, that's it, yeah. Like, I, I was trying to be a freelancer, but I was always booked up on spotless things. But uh, no, I'll take that as a, as a compliment. You always kept me coming back. So Yeah, no, good. excellent, yeah. brilliant. Um, okay, so I guess as I said already, the, the topic for today's discussion is ethnographic research. Um, so for those who aren't actually aware of it, it would be good just to get a feel for what, what that actually is, what it amounts to, um, and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so ethnographic research, I guess, it, it branches out from anthropology, which is like a massive, broad thing, the study of people, right? Right. Um, so, you know, in, in anthropology, you have things like it's the study of people, the study of cultures, mm-hmm. places, um, but I guess the main difference is in anthropology, you can have much broader things such as cross-cultural analysis and right. all these things. But ethnography is very much the study of one culture. And the key part of it is um, you study it in context. Mm-hmm. So it's people and cultures in context. So from the point of view of the participant of interest, I guess, is, right. is, a, is a way of thinking about it. Um, in the, in the setting of service design, in our setting, I guess it's it's um, often more related to specific products, specific jobs, yeah, yeah. specific acti- activities. Um, yeah, I guess you could talk talking broadly about cultures. Like, I guess you, know, you could talk all the way from tribes in, yeah. in Africa or South America, <laughs> all the way to digital tribes. Yeah, yeah, digital, <laughs> of, uh, yeah. You know, people on you know in workspaces or, or even online. So absolutely, yeah, yeah, and yeah, it's all I guess you know the culture and communication about how people in places interact with each other is, sure. is always a big interest in it. Yeah, yeah. And I guess as you mentioned, like being embedded is a big part of that, um, or being mm. at least co-located with the people involved. Would that be fair enough? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, it's, it's, a massive, um, it's a massive part because when you're in the setting, people 
I guess, talk about things that they'd never yeah. have thought of saying otherwise. And, yeah. and they show you things that they'd never think of saying. So um, that's, that's a really key part of it. And, and, you know, it's part of the definition of it, I guess, as well. Yeah. Um, being in situ with the, the culture, the job and the people you're, you're trying to study. Absolutely, yeah. Whenever I've done it, I've always found that you gain so much just from seeing the, the workspaces that people live, um, kind of mm. inhabit all day. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So if people are in cubicles or even if they're just kind of in open plan but have their own little, little bit of wall space or whatever, yeah. um, it can be really interesting to see what value they place on what they put up. Um, and, you know, some of it can just be like pictures of kids or whatever, yeah. but, but some of it can be like their password. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's so. funny. Yeah, it's funny how personal it gets, isn't it? Yeah, and, yeah. And, you know, it can be in workplaces. It can be in the home as well. Absolutely. So, yeah. you know, you have... I guess the home is the ultimate customizable setting for, for yeah, what you're doing. Yeah. So that very much applies. People will have a radio on a shelf that's always on, or mm. they'll have a poster, or they'll have maybe a motivational, you know, the cat hanging onto a yeah. <laughs> clothesline <laughs> or something. Um, but yeah, it's, even, even the way they set up seats, are they using couches? And, yeah. you know, do they need to be on a screen? How many screens do they have? Absolutely, and yeah. how, how things are divided up like that is, is often a window into what they do. I know so many times when we've done ethnographic research, um, you know, it'll, be about, it'll often be about a specific digital product um, mm. previously. And I think the creators of these products often have a very specific view of how people are using them. They're going to use them in a really focused way. They're going to sit down. They're going to look at the screen for yeah. <laughs> 20 minutes. And when you actually see how people use it, it's on the couch with a laptop, with the TV going in the background. They're half looking yeah. at one screen, half, half looking at the other. Their kids are coming in looking for something. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So you know, it's 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 you can you, people design. I think very often for like focused interaction, and it's only through kind of observing this real world interaction that we can see that that's not really yeah always no, going to fly. Totally agree with that. You, you often have a when, when you're thinking of a business of a product of anything like that, you have you have a tendency to think about it in a vacuum, yeah. for want of a better word, which is kind of what you were saying. I remember being in in um in a home setting. Uh, when I was doing some ethnography, ethnographic sure. research for a financial company, mm -hmm. and I remember he had a radio that used that he'd just leave on the news all the time. Sure. So it would always always be giving him out news, and he used to say he used to read newspapers because it's <laughs> it's not news once it's been printed; it's taken too long. Right, it's old. So, yeah, it's the old. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, and, and uh, he went so far as to say he does his, his morning checks on the. On the toilet as well, so on his iPad. Oh, like yeah, check, yeah, check yeah. the news kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, check the news, oh, check, check the, the stocks. He's, he's, in good, yeah. he's in good um, company there. I think Donald Trump does that. Well. Yeah, yeah, the two <laughs> toilet checkers, yeah. Um, <laughs> fortunately enough, I suppose, for me, though, I didn't go quite so far as to investigate that setting. Right, for yeah. Me. Left that one to there's, imagination. That's a good point. There are sometimes barriers to, yeah. <laughs> to, to graphic research. Yeah, natural a valid barrier. <laughs> so, natural social barriers to, to what you can or can't do there. Mm. Um, okay, so I guess we've, we've talked about some of the kind of good, good aspects of ethno, some of the things you might get out of it. Uh, in your view, what's, what's kind of ethno or ethnographic research most useful for? Yeah, so I guess... Um, you can use it very well. I mean, it's, it's a very useful tool, I feel, at all stages. It, yeah. If you haven't done anything like this and you have, you have a product or you have a service, it's always going to be something yeah. that you need to do to understand it in context. Hmm. But I think it, becomes, it comes most to life at early stages. So early stages of development, you can use it to discover requirements and find out um, any current pain points and exactly what you're solving. So any sure. issues that, are, that exist, you need to understand what actually needs to be solved rather than you know, right. just yeah, yeah. trying to come up with a product you think, you think will solve a problem. So this is almost like at a concept stage or even like pre-requirements. Exactly, yeah. Thing, yeah. yeah I, I, I think it can really come to life then because um, I don't know about yourself, but I've always found that you're going to get something that you never really expected yeah. Going in. Always, yeah. So yeah, if you're if you're at an early stage and you're still at a stage where you can change things going forward, it's it's gonna be of your to your benefit really. Yeah, yeah. I um, think even even going forward through projects, um, it's it's often a budgetary constraint that uh, that mm. doesn't allow for SNL because there's often a lot of travel involved in it. There's Absolutely. maybe more of a time commitment. So if we if we talk about lab based interviews, we can often do four, five, even six at a push in a day. Yeah. Um, whereas with ethnographic, if you're talking about talking to some person in, in South London and someone else 
off in northeast mm, London, yeah. you really can only do kind of maybe two out of push three in a day. Yeah. Um, so that kind of pushes costs up. But I often, I, 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 I often, or as much as I can, push for ethnographic interviews um, because, you know, lab-based interviews are great, but there's nothing like when someone is trying to tell you something and they say, oh, yeah, I have this thing. I wish I could show you. Mm, yeah, yeah. And you're in the lab and you're like, oh, yeah, <laughs> send it to me later, I guess. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But in their house, they can just run upstairs. They can grab whatever they're talking about. Mm. They take out their own iPad. They can show you the apps they're talking about, whatever mm. it might be. So you're getting much, much more rich contextual mm. info at that point than you normally would. Yeah, and if, if it's in a work setting or even a family setting at home, mm. um, it's always so interesting when things just start to happen. Like uh, yep. they get a phone call or somebody walks in or something like that happens. And... and Often they might think, oh, oh, should I, you know, should I ask them to leave? And I'm, I'm just thinking, no, no, please, just forget I'm here. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. Um, it's when the most useful things can come out. So finding cultural and communication issues, it's it's really useful for that kind of Absolutely. That kind of thing. And it's um, another great thing about that type of research, I think, is um, very mu- very often in a lab, we kind of ask, okay, so what would your next step be from this point? So if someone's having a lot of trouble with a product, mm. um, they might say, oh, you know, I, I might ring them up and, and see, can I get some mm-hmm. clarification? Yeah. And I think it's great in, uh, you can do it in lab sessions, but I think it's even better when you can do it in their home or in their office and just get them to make that call there and then to Absolutely. see what that experience is like and so forth. So, so it kind of takes them beyond the direct digital experience more into the service end of things as well. Yeah, yeah, sure, so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's very good. And... Um, Another thing that I think is massively valuable when you're when you're doing these interviews is when you come across workarounds, things yeah. like workarounds. So I, I always have a kind of a eureka moment when you find somebody using... So yeah, I guess just to explain what I mean by a workaround is someone using a service, a product, or a system in a way that it wasn't intended to be used. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So if, if you get these, you know... Um, I have one, one example in... in in my head, I might think of more as we as we go. But sure. um, Apple, the Apple phones, always had a flash for their camera. Yep. But uh, after after some research, they found out that people were using the the flash on their camera to as a flashlight. Oh right? yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. so y- if you look through people's galleries of pictures on their phones, you'd find <laughs> you'd find them, um, you know, tens of tens of photos of people's keyholes, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> things like that, yeah. um, or the bottom of their wardrobe or something. Uh, Absolutely, yeah. So actually changing the product to, to deal with that workaround and to having, have a, flashlight, having yeah. a flashlight, you have being able to just turn on the flash yeah. Yeah. is something they found through a workaround that they'd never thought of before. Absolutely. No, it's, it's, it's really amazing stuff. And so many times, like, as you said, we've done kind of um, this for financial settings in the past. Um, I've, I've even done it uh, in kind of workplaces and academia and stuff. Um, but so often you'll have this envis- envisaged use of, for example, your financial app or, for example, your uh, work-sharing app, whatever it might be. Yeah, yeah. And people are just not, not engaging with the tooling at all. They'll have, like, their own Excel sheet that's off to the side. They're taking yes, all the stuff yeah. down because they're doing their own calculations. Yeah. And like the, re- the reasons behind that can be all sorts of varied ones. Mm-hmm. But as, as you say, it, it's a workaround. It's something that you'll never know about because n- no analytics in the world could ever tell you that someone has Excel open at the same time as, Absolutely, yeah, as yeah. your tool. Yeah. So Yeah, that was I actually saw myself. So it's definitely something that comes up in those financial ones. People have yeah. have these extra tools and finding out why they've created them and yeah. what the current ones aren't offering is it, it just it, it opens the door to many more opportunities for, for the services that Ex- are exactly right. Doing. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Okay, so I guess going to the actual application of ethnographic research and, and, and doing it in a, in a good way or in a kind of a, a robust way, um, how do you go about doing good ethnographic research? Mm, yeah, um, yeah it's, a good, it's a good point because there are some things you have to be prepared for when you, when you go into this type of research. Mm-hmm. Um, you've often done a lot of research yourself when you're when you're going into these settings. So you know you know what you're going to be talking about. You know, there can be right. jargon and things. Um, but going into these interviews, not being an expert, or at least saying that you're not an expert, I think is very valuable. Right. Um, so making that known to the participant. Making, exactly, like explicitly saying, you are the expert in the room. Uh, I'm, I'm a researcher. Uh, right. I'm, not, I'm not an expert in, in this service. Um, Coming across as a novice will will help people fully communicate 
what they're doing instead mm-hmm. of instead of a participant saying something like, "Oh, and then I just do the usual." Right. Yeah. They, yeah. They're they're more inclined to go through each step of what they do, um, right. which which is often where there's some interesting nuances to to their process. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'd I'd agree with that. I think ninety nine percent of the time, I, I, it's it's backfired on me once. Yeah. I, I, and I think it's just a personality thing, and it's a skill, I guess, you learn over time in terms of who this works well with and who it doesn't. Sure. Um, I kind of explained I'm a novice to, to whatever the subject matter was, and the guy basically refused to explain to me anything beyond a certain point. He was just oh, like, really? you, won't, you won't understand. I'm, oh, not, even, I'm not even going to explain this. And I'd, I'd be like, no, no, please try. Oh. No, not, not for you. <laughs> okay. So, you, in, you in hit that the case, ceiling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. His, his, his view of me that was that I, I was down here somewhere. Right. And yeah, it yeah. wasn't worth engaging with. But that's very, very rare. That's like one in a. That's yeah. Like one in a hundred. No, I, I guess it does raise an interesting point of some things you're looking into are, are just so like ingrained in years and years of education. If you're, if yeah. you're going to day traders and, and you're, you're talking to them on Walmart, they can't explain yeah. you know, what all the numbers on the screen are or whatever. But yeah, I, th- I think. Generally, it, it does help to, to become to come across as a novice, yeah. with, with some exceptions. Yeah, I think almost always. Yeah, realistically, yeah. Yeah. Um, um another point on that I'd like to make is to not get too bogged down on your list of questions that you have, especially yep. if you're doing many interviews. Um, I've always found that questions develop over time. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's just a way of you don't want your questions to drive the data. You want the data to drive right. the questions, yeah, if, yeah, if you know yeah. what I mean. So, so um, having some core questions are fairly obviously important. But, yeah. but um, as you come across things in your first few sessions or first few experiences, you should be able to develop how you conduct interviews and what mm. exactly you probe into. Yeah. Um, I think it, it helps a lot to, to get really deep and insightful things. Absolutely, and that's... That's one of the great pros of doing a lot of qualitative research like this. But I guess there's also that con there in that very often you'll have come up with a great question by the third or fourth session. Yeah. And you're suddenly like, I wish I could go back into the first, yeah. Yeah, first yeah, three yeah. with that. But the questions you've come up with at that point are not something you could have worked, work, worked out in advance or workshopped or anything like that. Exactly. They, yeah. they can only come from the conversations. So, yeah. you know, you just have to take that as... As it comes, yeah, no, yeah. That's, that's exactly it. There's, there's, no, there's no interview script you could write that's going to be still perfect at the end because yep. then yep. you would have known everything already and it's just never, <laughs> exactly, never going to happen. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, just be ready to develop it as you go. Yeah. Um, and I guess another one is probably simple enough in terms of this kind of research, but coming across as impartial and not judging. Right. Um, to get honest feedback, I think, is really important. So, so having a good opening to say... You're not here to test them. You're not here to, to make any judgments. You, you just want to understand how the process works. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's, it's hugely important, especially when there's things like uh, if you're talking to managers and then you're talking to subordinates. Yes. If the subordinates yeah, yeah. don't do anything the way the manager said they do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's something that's always really interesting, by the way. So, you know, definitely it's great feedback when that comes out. But anything done off the by the book kind of way is is um really important to get yeah exactly yeah they have to feel comfortable that they can mm. show you you know beneath the surface of what what their normal work would be yeah um and that's i guess that's the case even in in relatively normal one-to-one research sessions but i think probably even more so with ethnographics so yeah um so like when someone knows the brand in advance which you know they wouldn't always we don't always tell people what brand yeah, sure. we're working for in advance mm. um, but it's always really cu- crucial to say I don't work directly for brand X I work for spotless or I work for whatever research agency you are mm-hmm. and I'm just here to take to take your feedback it'll be anonymized you know all those various different b- bits and pieces yeah um, I always find the minute you say I don't actually work for brand X mm-hmm. they, they calm down a lot more because they they, they know they're just talking to an inter- intermediary th- at that point yeah um, so yeah the whole don't worry, I won't be offended, kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so feel free to slate it if you want to. Yeah, yeah. You're not insulting me with yeah. any of this, you know. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, yeah. and I often, it's something, I think that's so, it's so important. I often sometimes reiterate it when, yeah. they, when they, they, 
inevitably kind of ask you a question about about what they're seeing. Yeah. Um, you say, oh, but I might not even know the answer to this. I, I don't work for these guys. Sure, yeah, yeah. 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 So, yeah, it's very important. I always think it's really funny in, in sessions when you when you say, you know, you're not going to insult me or I'm not, I'm not going to take this personally. They, they often go from, like, stony face serious to cracking a smile. Yeah. And I think at that point you know you've actually got a little, a little bit more. Yeah, exactly. A little yeah, bit closer yeah. to what's, what's going to matter to, to yeah. them. Mm. Cool. Um, okay, so I guess beyond some of the things we've already mentioned, are there any kind of good tools or techniques for SNO in your view? Yeah, a couple of um, practical stuff, I guess. Hmm. Uh, one I learned quite early on is <laughs> it's like ult ultimate practical tip. If you're, if you're going to somebody's house to do any ethno, um, have, a, have a look to see if they're wearing your shoes. <laughs> and yes, if, yeah, if they're yeah. not, if they're not offer to take off your shoes. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, it's, it's something, you know, some people don't wear shoes in their house. And Absolutely, if you're going into yeah. somebody's house, um, I guess it's manners, but if, if you don't do, if you don't offer that and then you're doing the whole thing with your shoes on, there's going to be a little barrier there <laughs> yeah. of uncomfortability. It's like eye movements. Come on, come on, guy, take yeah, them off. Yeah. <laughs> come on, what are you doing here? Yeah, and you go back thinking, you go back thinking that they weren't comfortable with the with the product, but it was yeah. actually your shoe wearing yeah. <laughs> that got them. So I guess on, on the flip side of that, make sure you wear fresh socks. Fresh socks, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's very important. Or yeah. socks at least. Uh, some kind of sock. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's a good uh, good tip there. But it's funny, just just these little practical tips that are, I guess. Normal social tips in a way, but but mm -hmm. more important when you're trying to get something yeah. out, out of someone, you know. Yeah, because it's it's so important for them to feel comfortable, and you know, open with with yeah. you. And if there's any like little things that just tick them off or anything, it's just gonna make it that little bit harder to find what you need to find. Sure. Yeah. One one I've come across is, um, and I was given this tip by someone else, and I found it really worked. Wonders in in home sessions. If someone offers you something, like never refuse it. Yeah, which okay, I, I, yeah. again, it just seems like a normal social thing. But mm -hmm. my, my initial reaction—if someone offered me a cup of tea—is like, no, no, it's fine. You know, don't, don't yeah, worry yeah. about me. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it actually puts people at ease to be able to do something for you. Yeah, to just give give you a little bit of cake or whatever. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It, and it, it puts them into the, their own routine a bit more. Mm -hmm. So, like, if they, like if they can go out into the kitchen, make a cup of tea, they've met you. They can have a little bit of headspace to relax, think about what they're going to do next. Yeah. Um, I think that kind of helps a lot for people as well. It, it is, it is more, um, I guess, more of a natural social interaction that way, isn't yeah. it? Because if you ever do go to someone's house, you don't sit there without a cup of tea or without yeah. anything. So, um, yeah, I think it's important. And it kind of leads on to one of my other points hmm. um, about kind of techniques, uh, which is about the intro and the warm-up for your participant. Right. It's, yeah, yeah. it's um, something I've found is very important because people don't really know what's going on. Yeah. They, they, yeah, they yeah. don't have a clue why you're going to their house. And, and even, you know, a, a lot of the times when brands want to remain anonymous, mm. there's only so much you can tell them. So I found a really thorough warm-up and intro, even before you get there through email or yeah. anything, as much as you can give them to say, you know, it's not a test for you. These are the kind of things we'll be talking about. Maybe you know, some, something you can show me about how you work or how you do this sure, yeah, will yeah. be useful. But any kind of little warm-up um, is going to be massively valuable. Absolutely. You know? And th you often hear this kind of argument that, oh, you're, you're giving them time to prep. You're giving them time to do this, do that. Mm -hmm. But r realistically, by not giving them any, any warm-up warm -up to what's happening, they're not going to act re realistically either. Yeah, exactly. Because they have yeah, a, yeah. they're looking at a stranger yeah. who they don't know what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> like how could they be expected to act in a completely yeah. naturalistic way in that yeah, fashion sure. you know it's exactly um, yeah like when they're when they're thinking of doing things at home they don't spring it on themselves you know they're exactly, always yeah. going to think about it themselves and yeah. plan to do things so yeah um, yeah and I, I found as well it's a if, if you do that well it's a much easier way to get into workplace interviews yes because hr have massive problems in a lot of big companies when you when you want to go and observe someone in an office setting or mm. in a work setting if you, if the person you're interviewing can't book a room with their HR guys and tell them this guy's coming in to look at this and talk about yeah, this. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. The HR guys often go, mm, you can't do it in here. You've got to go to a cafe down the road or... Or you can't do it at all. Or you can't do it at all, yeah, 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 yeah. And very often in those cases, in corporate cases, you have to lay out what you're not going to talk about. Yes, uh, Just yes. as clearly. So like, we're not going to talk about, for example, processes that are 
uh, are, are proprietary to you guys or yeah you know, those or I don't want to I'm not interested in who your clients are exactly yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah or I'm not interested in seeing any of your actual like live documents yeah. or you know whatever it might be yeah yeah um, no it's, it's hugely important I think if, if you're ever going into that in that kind of setting and obviously it's it's better if you can see those things but you know sometimes yeah, sure, they need yeah. to be able to to have a they, i mean they have yeah. a policy and that's 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 fine too yeah and I, so. I feel like you know when when you get up a little bit of rapport with them you can often say is it okay if i look at that you can block out the top row where you've got all your figures or your names yeah, exactly there's, yeah. there's things you can still do to try and get some documentation of it yeah and it brings me along actually to the to the next point I was we were going to have a chat about, which is the equipment that you might use. Mm. Um, so I've always found it varies. So sometimes you would you would video sessions. Um, sometimes you would just do some audio recording. Sometimes you would just just write notes. Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of equipment have kind of you used in the past? What kind of things work well? Yeah. So I guess the same as you. There have there have been a lot of varying varying things. Um, sometimes video recorder. Sometimes not. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, in terms of making people feel at home, maybe sometimes it, it can be a little bit much to have all yeah. this equipment, you know, like boom mics. I'd agree with that, yeah. <laughs> they <laughs> don't want a, a podcast set up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> they want something more natural. So, um, yeah, I, I think having a phone recording or a dictaphone recording on the table is, is often a great backup. Right. Um, you, you need to be able to kind of go back to interviews, especially if you're doing a lot. You can do 40 different interviews and yeah. you, you're, you're having... A tough time remembering the third one. Yeah. Um, if if you can get a, a video camera in, it's it's great to to get a feel for the setup of the room. Um, you know, show show people when you're presenting your findings. It's great if they can see rooms yeah. and how they're laid out. I, I think it's very valuable for for companies to actually Absolutely. see it visually. It's massive. Um, I think it's something as well that you you pick up based on the person and based on, on the social cues, so how yeah. comfortable they are mm-hmm. with X level of equipment. Um, if someone's like nervous of just me talking to them, I'll probably mm-hmm. try, I'll probably, my inclination will be to introduce less equipment. Yeah. Where if yeah. someone is kind of super confident and doesn't seem to be any, in any way worried about yeah. what's, what's happening, I'm more happy to introduce stuff usually. Yeah. Uh, a workaround I found that works you know, reasonably well is that at the at the end of a session, if you can put aside 10, 10 minutes and kind of say, do you mind if I take pictures of or mm-hmm. get some recordings of some of the things we've done here? Yeah. Um, and maybe just jot down in your notebook what you want to do. So if, if you if you had seen them working on their iPad and the couch, you, can say, you could say, oh, could you sit there again? Just show me that, show me that again. Mm-hmm. Um, and various bits and pieces like that. And uh, another thing we've done uh, previously is uh, Vox Pops at the end of sessions. All right. Uh, yeah. Where you can kind of sit people down and just get like a top five summary points for them. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. And that can be good for video clips as well afterwards. So rather than trying to comb through hours and hours of yeah. session video, yeah. um, you know, after an hour, say an hour session, they'll often have kind of quite crystallized thoughts mm-hmm. um, about what, what they want to say. Um, and that can be a good time to capture that as well. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point because the medium of video is, is massively communic- oh, you know, yeah. it's, it's massively important, isn't it? It's, it's very clear when you, when you get to watch it on a video. So yeah. if, you can, if you can get that, it's definitely worth it. Yeah. And we're, I guess we're particularly lucky in the lab setup we have here because we have like, like four or five cameras in every lab, yeah, yeah. multiple angles. Yeah, you're never, off, never off camera. You're never off camera. Brother, yeah. And they're really kind of inconspicuous, so people don't even notice mm, they're yeah. on camera most of the time. So, you know, there's, in most cases, there's no issue there. But when you take out a, a Sony Handycam or whatever it might be, it's, you know, it's not a huge thing, but it's mm. very obvious when it's out, when, when it's in a room. So. Yeah. yeah, it's different than in the lab, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's a little bit more out there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I guess my other point I was going to ask you about when it comes to equipment is, I think from previous experience of talking to, to clients and talking to other people, there's, there's an expectation here that ethno, ethnographic research could be quite a cumbersome thing to have to do you're bringing around loads of gear and stuff you're kind of mm. tagging stuff is, is that an experience you've had or, is, or does it tend to be more kind of lightweight more kind of um i think i'm yeah i'm happy enough <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe i just like suffering i don't know but um yeah no i've i found you can you can generally set yourself up to be quite ready for travel mm-hmm. um in terms of getting a backpack throwing in a dictaphone uh, your tripod your video camera um, you know your notepads and 
maybe a massive long extension cord. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is always... That's another great tip, actually. Yeah, yeah. You can, you can never one. assume someone will have even one free plug or, you know, yeah. or that a plug will be near where, where you need to be. Exactly, yeah. Oh, you can just plug it in in the kitchen <laughs> yeah. or in the living room. Yeah, um, yeah so that's an, another top tip. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, no, I haven't found it too cumbersome. What yeah. about yourself? No, I've, I've, I've generally found it a lot easier than I think most people think it is. Mm. Um, we have like a dictaphone to bring the handy cam. You bring your notepa- notepad. You might need yeah. to bring a stand or something. You know, it's, 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 it'll, it'll all fit into a rucksack, basically, at, yeah, at yeah. a push. Yeah, so, just maybe carry a tripod if it doesn't fit in. Or yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I, think, I think there's kind of misconceptions there, but mm-hmm. hopefully we, yeah. can, we can appease them or, or uh, yeah, yeah. Put, put the doubt yeah. to them a, li- a little solved. bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Um, I, I, I was going to ask you about kind of some specific exa- examples of work we've done here. I think we've touched off a few of them already mm. uh, in terms of having worked in the financial services sector. Mm. Um, I've done some work in, in various uh, software development um, businesses and stuff like that. Um, was, was there any other specific ones or have we kind of covered? Uh, we've probably kind of covered them. I, I, have, I have some other examples that I've thought of that we didn't do but I've read about that, sure. that are yeah. just really interesting that... Um, I thought so. So I remember a while ago, um, I saw a case study when I was at a conference uh, in service design, and it was about the redesign of Victoria Coach Station. Oh yeah, um, and I think it was done by Deloitte, partnering with TFL. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a really interesting study because n- not only did they redesign it for the customers walking through, but they kept the employees in mind as well. So yeah. there was there was it was kind of a an attack from two two sides, mm-hmm. um, and they had some really kind of archaic systems in Victoria. <laughs> so you had the guys on the ground like writing down schedules of the buses, yes, what, what's yeah, in, what's yeah. out, um, and then they'd go over to a wall, tie the clipboard onto a piece of string, and tug it. <laughs> and then the office up on the first floor would pull the string up to the window, <laughs> and they they'd log it in their computer. So, <laughs> so yeah, that was that was an interesting one. Um, don't know how that worked when it was raining and things, but but anyway, I'm trying to think of what movie that reminds me of, where someone like puts something on a rope and tugs it, yeah, yeah, like yeah. the Flintstones or something, in it. or yeah, <laughs> yeah, or, or one of those like horror movies. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> that's what sounds of the lambs, it. Yeah, yeah, I think it might be. Yeah, yeah, uh, lotion on the skin. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, well, it wasn't that bad. But <laughs> they they had interviews with um, employees and they kind of came across mm-hmm. that thing and they they kind of got them more kitted out so they gave them iPads so they could directly log things into the system rather than that go-between. Right. Which uh, was a big saver in terms of things going wrong and also just effort. Um, yeah, because I guess you're, you're, you're doing two men's work with one person now or... or the person upstairs certainly can do, be doing something else. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Than, yeah. Instead of, like, checking the window. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Waiting, um, for the, waiting for the string to be tucked. Yeah, yeah, and, and the, the guy on the ground can do it from the coach rather than going over to the, the wall as well. Yeah, so. yeah. And, and the customers as well, the, the customer journey was kind of imagined as you walk through the door. So as, walk, as you walk through the door, a Victoria coach station used to just be presented with a, new, a news agent's shop. Hmm. So, you know, you'd get your Coke and you'd get your Mars bar. And then you'd wander around not knowing where to go. Hmm. So they, they reimagined that and put the, the time board straight in front of you as you walk in the front door. Sure. And then put the shop off to the side so you'd find it if you needed to. Um, it's, it's a small thing and it seems kind of obvious, but until you do it, until you imagine walking through as a customer, um, it's, it's just, I guess it, it never got done. So uh, yeah, yeah. it made a massive difference for the way the workflow. And I, th- I think you know it affected crowds as well. Yeah. People standing there wondering where to go taking up staff's time, asking them where to go. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was a very good project. It's an, it's an amazing thing. Like, I, think, I think so much work is put into designing train stations well. Mm. Like, like, they do so much for train stations. You know, they redesign yeah. them. And they'll, do, you know, they'll have people out there counting how many people are on each, each platform at each hour of the day. Mm. And, all this. and it, just seems, it does seem like coach stations have always been a little bit yeah, yeah, left yeah. behind for whatever reason. Something, um, something about train platforms as well. It's a... I'm not sure if they got a Tourette now or not, but it just came into my head. Maybe it's even behavioural. Maybe it's more mm. applicable to, to John's one last week. But, but um, uh, smokers, when they were trying to reduce litter of, of cigarettes on the, sure. on the platform, and people... So they had cigarette bins, but nobody was using them. They were up on the wall. <laughs> of course. So what they did was they just viewed how people 
smoke and how, how they dispose of them. And everyone put them out in the ground and stood on them. So what they did was they ran a gutter along the wall <laughs> so people could put their cigarette on the ground, stand on it, and then just kick it to the side. Right, yeah, yeah. And they just, everyone would just kick it. You just, you just kind of call their attention down there, say, kick your cigarettes in here. Yeah. Someone could come along at the end of the day and just sweep it down to the end. And yeah, yeah, that's, that's it done, job That's done. it done, yeah. So it was yeah, just yeah. Matching, matching that to their behavior, I guess. But, yeah. But, um, yeah. It's something interesting of just observing how people do things. Yeah. yeah. No, I think that's, like, that's crucial. Um, yeah, so, so, so not just smoking, but so many times when you're dealing with a behavior you don't like, you just try to ban it. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like, oh, I'm sick of cleaning up um, cigarette butts. Just mm. no one can smoke anywhere within 10 foot of this building now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And really all you're doing there is just, you know, disservicing people and, you know, making people walk 10 foot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Into, <laughs> yeah. into the cold and rain or whatever it might be. Well, yeah. Whereas in this solution, um, you're actually dealing with the issue in a, in, rather than just kind of knocking mm. it down the road. Yeah, yeah. Which is always good. There was a good scene in the IT crowd when they, they moved the the smoking area like a couple of miles away from the building <laughs> so you'd have the smokers like wrapping up like uh, old soviet people and do, doing the trek every day yeah, yeah. To, get, to get to their smoking shelter oh, brilliant. yeah okay um and i guess just to close out on SNL, i think we've been talking about it for for quite a while now but mm. it's it's been it's been it's been good it's been mm. fun um where, where do you think ethnographic research can go in the future what are some opportunities out there yeah um yes yeah, so, so there's some interesting developments in the world happening these days, yeah. as there always is, I suppose. Um, but one, there's a couple of areas for ethno that I'm really looking forward to um, getting the opportunity of working in. So one is the idea of we have self-driving cars coming in. Mm-hmm. Um, and for the first time, it's going to take the people's attention away from driving, and they'll be able to just relax in their car. Right. Um, but there's, there's a couple of things that will be really interesting from a research point of view when that happens. Uh, one of them is how do they see the space? So, you know, mm-hmm. I think a lot of companies are imagining it like the new living room. You've, I've read a lot about that. Yeah, yeah. The new living room, you have your little fake fireplace and your, <laughs> your couch and your TV. Um, but I, f- I find another interesting one would be like trust levels. So, you know, you have like the hive mind with, with automatic cars, which is super interesting. Yeah. Not, I'll explain that slightly just for any listeners, but it's it's where all the driverless cars on the road will be connected through one one network. So mm-hmm. so it'll it'll really come into use. Let's say there's an accident around a blind corner, mm-hmm. every car within a mile will, be will instantly it. know about it. Right? Yeah. So it'll make things safer that way. Or likewise, if someone's doing 200 miles an hour down a road, everyone can just stop quite a while away from him yeah. and let him go through with his path. Yeah. But if all these things are happening and the users in the cars have no idea what's going on. Well, how are they going to feel about it, and will they want to take control? And yeah. But yeah, I think there's a lot around that, that that'll be interesting, and it's the first time that people will be able to go into cars and just have a conversation about it all. Yeah, so yeah. It'll be, it'll be a great it's a, opportunity. It's going to be, yeah, it's going to be really interesting. There's a really simple, I, I'll see, can I dig out, and put a link into the show notes for this. There's a really simple um, simulation of self-driving cars. You can watch it on the web. Oh, yeah. And it's just like a roundabout system where cars are coming off and cars are going on. Mm. And it starts off just showing you the automated version. And like cars are just like, there's no stoppage whatsoever. Right. Like hundreds of cars coming onto this roundabout, moving off. No one even has to stop. Right. It's like okay. people just bumper to bumper. Just, it just moves yeah. and it's, everyone's getting where they want to go. And they give you an option to take control of one of the cars. Okay. And <laughs> no matter how good a driver you are, yeah. within five seconds, there's blockages um, oh, really? Because you're, you're stopping and starting. You're yeah, moving yeah. at not quite the same speed as what's ahead of you. People are slowing down. That's moving back around through the roundabout. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I, like, it, it's it, like it, one, one drunk ant walking it, the wrong way through exactly, all his buddies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think it's meant to be an example of how with driverless cars, you can't go halfway. Or you can, yeah. but it's, it never, it's not going to work out as well. Yeah, yeah. So you either trust that the entire system will work or you just don't do it. Yeah, yeah. Kind of They're almost going to need separate roads for a while or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but um, yeah, it's, it's really interesting space. Yeah, yeah. Um, another one is just augmented reality. I think it's going to yeah. be, it, it's going to be become really like way more utilized than it is now, obviously, but a massive part of our lives. It's it, its potential is huge. So looking at things things through the camera on your phone to wearing glasses that show digital representations on the screen. Right. Um, just, I, I think the opportunities are for it are so vast, it'll be interesting to, mm. 
to to talk to people after they start using it and see how they deal with all this this data they can it's going to be so difficult to study as well yeah yeah um we, we, we've kind of just touched off the beginnings of it in, in various different ways but for like seeing what someone is seeing in ar yeah and experiencing yeah. what they're experiencing in ar uh, in the augmented reality for if, if that wasn't clear um yeah. It's just going to be really, really, really difficult. Um, yeah. I remember when someone took out the Google Glass, you know, the, the, the thing, it was like, it hangs in front of one of your eyes. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I think there was a little screen in it. And they were like, oh, this is so cool. And I was like, this, it just looks like a piece of, piece of plastic. I, I, I don't yeah, know yeah. What's, what, what is. <laughs> what are you seeing? You know, there's no... Yeah, yeah. And no, yeah, eventually it'll be in contact lenses and things. Yeah, yeah. yeah, um, yeah. So it's, it's going to be a real tough, tough one. Yeah. Even with um, virtual reality... Um, viewing what someone else is viewing in virtual reality, you can potentially co-locate with them in certain apps. You know, you mm. can be in the same place, mm-hmm. um, but not all of them. And, and mm. you know, it's when you're sitting there with a headset on, there's only so much the person beside you can engage with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that's going to be tough as well. It's, there's it's a lot of challenges there. Nice but, fun barrier to try and overcome. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. but we, we got there. We got there with mobile. Um, I, I, remember, I remember it used to be a real nightmare to record mobile. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. When mm. when you're doing like user testing, and we got, we got around that. So. Yeah, it's handy, yeah. It's only a matter of, only a matter of time, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's it. All right, excellent. Um, is that everything you want to cover? Yeah, I think so. Cool, excellent. I think that was pretty pretty thorough, but we, I think we got a lot covered, which is good. Yeah. Um, so, and I'm sure Ethno will come up again as part of various different sessions. Yeah. It, it, it can be a big part of what we do. do, do. Absolutely, so, um, yeah, yeah. If yeah. that's not something that we're going to leave on the table. Mm. Uh, but let's move on to the, the next section of the podcast then, Richie. So we, I know you've put together some news stories that, you, that kind of caught mm. your eye yeah. today or this week. Um, so what, what was the first one that kind of you came across? Um, so this has been around for a while now, and um, I think it might have been on your list last week and you never got to it. But right. uh, the YouTube ads, so, so ads on YouTube, companies are pulling out of that at a pretty fast pace right now yeah. because um, they've discovered it's very hard to control what ad they put on what video. Right. So you have all these reputable brands that are paying Google a lot of money to get their ads, get their ads put to the start of YouTube videos. Yeah. And Insurance companies, banks. Yes, all um, these yeah. really high profile, you know, reputation matters a lot. And they might pop up on a hate video yeah yeah and and right now youtube and google have no control over how that works so you have massive companies pulling out i can't remember who it is but mm. um there's some some big boys there i've got it i've got out. it here i think yeah. it's just in front of me um so telecom firms at&t and verizon yeah which um if you know the u.s market that's basically big players. Yeah, the two yeah. biggest ones it's kind of like your bt and your virgin over here yeah exactly yeah um as well as the car rental company Enterprise, which is right. Enterprise Rent a Car, mm. and pharmaceutical giant, giant uh, GSK. Um, right. So there's some big names there yeah, yeah. in terms of, of pulling out. And now that now that the the news is out there, I can only imagine more of them will be will be looking into it as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think yeah. So just to clarify, I think there's there's still it's 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 talking about Google because obviously people Google owns yeah. YouTube. So they pulled out from the YouTube end, but they're still they're still advertising on the search end. Yeah. So it yeah, it really does connect this content to the videos thing, I think, more than mm-hmm. anything else. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's a it's a tough one. Yeah, it's 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 tough because I guess the the road you have to go down then, or or that YouTube do, is you know, letting brands choose the channels they want to advertise on, which mm-hmm. you know, I that's just my idea, one way of policing it, but it does it's wrought with its own problems. I mean, you know, it's, it's hard to do. Um Yeah, I mean <laughs> Channel by channel basis, I mean, there's millions, millions yeah, yeah. of channels. And, you know, and then you'd have, you know, Barclays Bank choosing Halifax's videos <laughs> to, to, put their ad, to put their ads on. Yeah, yeah. You'd have a lot of different complications then, but yeah. it, it's a tough cookie, I tell you. I think it could, there's a real risk there of it destroying what makes YouTube YouTube, which is that kind of spont- spontaneity mm-hmm. and the personalities that develop there. I can imagine if, if mm-hmm. advertising only went to really safe channels yeah, yeah you could get this kind of whitewashed youtube where it, it would you know yeah, it would incentivize safe videos being made wouldn't it yeah because these big brands are like and then you could get this backlash where there's like a huge market for just completely off the wall like crazy stuff yeah, yeah which yeah. is totally inappropriate yeah and it, it might in a way encourage that and it's you know you kind of end up with mm. two two mm. issues <laughs> yeah fun one yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> fun one to try and deal with with no solution so that's that <laughs> no but yes it's, it's an interesting yeah. one absolutely yeah um, next up then, I think we have kind of two 
interrelated stories mm. um, I've got in front of me. So we have the London to Paris electric flight within a decade, well, yeah. which sounds very impressive, mm. and the, the world's first zero emissions hydrogen train. Yeah. So I guess two examples of... Well, I would, I'm not sure if I'd actually call a plane public transport. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> certainly, tra- certainly transport. <laughs> sure, yeah. Yeah, they're all going electric these days. And um, I, I guess they're just aiming for short flights now. They've only said they can do London to Paris. Or, yeah. yeah. Um, but I guess the, the good thing about the plane and the train, I suppose, is that they'll both be silent. Yeah. Or, or ne- you know, near silent. Well, that's, a, I mean, obviously a huge issue from a, the plane point of view. Mm. Um, I mean, I live down towards Richmond, so I was just I'm, I'm say, on the yeah. way into Heathrow. So Yeah, yeah, there was such a huge debate there about whether to put a, another runway mm. at Heathrow or another one at Gatwick or have a new, you know, a new airport or whatever it might be. Mm. Um, and it all basically came down to noise, from what I remember. There was, yeah, huge, yeah. was huge amounts of pollution and noise, basically. Yeah. So if you can do it kind of in a clean, noiseless way. Absolutely, yeah. If you can do it in that way, it's great. The, mm. the only... And, you know, that's a great application of it, but the only thing I'm still slightly sceptical about is, is the the generation of batteries, and um, I, I'm not sh- convinced yet that they're as green as they may say. Well, no, yeah, yeah. But, well, that's... Yeah. I guess there's two points there. Um, I think it came up previously in the discussion about cars. The batteries are about as far from green as you can get. They're, yeah. they're, all, they're all made from rare earth minerals, which are yeah. um, dug out of the earth in China. In That's it, yeah. I think the, the path generally goes like nickel from Canada yeah. goes into like France and Central Europe to be processed. Yeah, yeah. And then over to China to be turned into a nice foam or something. Mm. <laughs> and then to Japan to be put into the Toyota Prius. That's the Prius example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, so you've got a lot of uh, big ship carriers and things. I forget what the... Name for is it, is it the carbon footprint or something for for so it's like you, you petrol can, miles I don't yeah, even know what it yeah, is it's yeah, like you can have like this that. really green seeming thing but actually yeah. the amount of petrol and fossil fuels it took to make yeah, yeah, outweigh yeah. what you might ever use in the exactly thing. yeah its lifetime would be <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah it's an it's interesting like, one even if you drove a Prius for thirty years you're not talking about the same amount of yeah, yeah petrol yeah, petrol miles I, I think they will get it right I'm not I'm not saying it's it's you know bad I just want to qualify that because yeah yeah it, it, it's probably going the right way and once they they sort it out. A bit more, I think it will, it will be good. Yeah, um, I think that industry got what it needed a couple of years ago when Tesla started talking about like building this giant mm. battery factory in the middle yeah. of nowhere and and innovating on that and the electric cars and so forth. Like the batteries need to be improved, but it, it if you look at what market is like now in terms of electric cars as to what it was four or five years ago, it's it's a completely different landscape. Mm. Um, I was walking home the other evening and I saw this like amazing looking supercar like something you'd see on Top Gear yeah yeah it was like a BMW uh, uh, yeah it was, it was a BMW oh it was an i8 it? and it was an i8 yeah, I was like, yeah, I was like yeah. oh Jesus like it's a they're cool, an electric they? car you know do, do you know what else they're doing now as well the, the, the like proper supercar players are in that game now too yeah, yeah. Um, I'm struggling to remember that well not, not, not to get too Top yeah. Gear here but like okay, yeah, no yeah. but like the, but like the compared to a petrol engine the amount of, of like speed you can get yeah, at an absolutely. instant with an electric yeah. car is absolutely insane yeah there's no uh, rev lag yeah there's yeah. no there's no need for high revs in electric we're, car we're, we're at a danger of mentioning Sorry. the word torque here yeah, we? yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah we're getting quite uh, mechanical here now <laughs> yeah. um, excellent and, and I guess this this hydrogen train one is related um, yeah it's of the same kind of thing same kind of idea I guess yeah the hydrogen fuel cells are another like you know on the surface super clean taking yeah. as long as you have your place to get hydrogen I guess it's it's everywhere right but, well it's what, H2O yeah yeah so you, you get your O you get your H yeah what could, what could possibly go wrong <laughs> trot them together yeah <laughs> um, although that that train does have batteries still mm-hmm. that, that the hydrogen powers yeah, yeah. but yeah the, the idea of emitting steam and water as a, as a waste product is kind of nice <laughs> yeah it's fine yeah throw back to the 19th 19th century or yeah yeah too bad they back just, to steam powered trains they just need too bad they needed shovels and shovels of coal to make the steam <laughs> back then. but yeah yeah same kind of yeah excellent okay um so we'll, we'll pop those into the blog post when we go mm. to finish up but i think we, we're going to finish on um do we have one or two stories left i've got one there but uh i had one about the the fisher guy the fishing scam guy. oh yeah yeah please um, yeah yeah, I won't spend too much, but I just thought it was really interesting and it, it kind of highlights the, the need to be really careful still on, on emails and things. Yeah. There's, there's a guy who's been caught recently who who fished with a phishing scam $100 million uh, from 
two multinational corporations in America who weren't named, but one of them was um, a big player in social media. So, you know, right. I'll let so. the listener guess who, whoever they want. Yeah, there's that. really only kind of maybe three yeah. out of push four yeah. in that so. space in a big way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so what he did was he set up a, a company in Lithuania, I think it was, or yeah, um, under the same name as an Asian company that, that these multinational corporations deal with regularly. Mm-hmm. And he'd, he'd email their accountants and things saying, oh, oh um, you know, you, you haven't put through that PO yet, so just send me over the $10 million and uh, we'll call it quits. And lo and behold, they just do it. <laughs> so uh, from there, he'd, he'd send it out to, to five or six banks in Hong Kong and Cyprus and all these places, uh, spread it around. And he'd, he'd even go so far as foraging checks and um, everything to keep his, his trail clean on the banks. <laughs> Yeah, he, did, have, he did well, in fairness to <laughs> to, 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 to quote the, uh, the kind of nerd character from The Simpsons, man, I hope someone got fired for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, a lot of trouble now, yeah. But it, it's come in, um, and funnily enough, I think the article worded it, uh, much of the funds have been recovered. Well, right. But yeah. I reckon, you How know, much? If, if he's got a handy 1% of that somewhere, he's, doing he's, okay, he's ready yeah. for retirement if he just gets away from the police or doesn't get brought over to America. for. So uh, he hasn't been caught? He's it, been it, caught, but I think they're just playing with getting him extradited and stuff at the moment. Right, yeah. So yeah. they don't know if they can get him over. Well, I mean, if he's in an EU country, I'm, I think there's pretty good extradition between the yeah, two. Yeah, I'm sure he's pretty boned. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I thought it was really interesting. And I've been getting fishing shams on, on the Amazon, like from, you know, not from Amazon, but seemingly from Amazon recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they look very legit, so... Do they still spell that with a PH? It's like fishing. Yeah, yeah, fishing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's a very 90s mm. phrase, yeah, uh, kind yeah. of way, of, way of doing things. Yeah. PH, fishing. It's coming back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're bringing, it, we're bringing it back. Yeah, excellent. Uh, yeah. Okay, well, I think that's pretty much everything we had to cover. All right, we've got a lot of time, have we? This podcast, yeah, I think yeah. we're kind of running up against it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been a real pleasure having you on, Richie. Um, yeah, it's been fun. We'll hopefully have you on again in a couple of months when it, when it rolls back around to you. Yeah, nice. Um, but yeah, it's been great. Um, and to, to the listener, thanks again for staying around and for listening all the way through. Um, again, um, I, I know I sound like a broken record, but um, we are on iTunes. We are on a number of different podcast listening services. Um, and we really would appreciate if you could uh, like and subscribe and uh, leave leave a, a rating or a review. Um, every, every little helps with it. Um, but yeah, we'll leave it there. Okay.